was going to go high-five someone, but there was no one around. Completely lonely. How's everybody doing? You guys enjoying your summer so far? Oh, good. Well, it's good to see you. Hello to our friends at Nassus Baptist Church who are also tuning in to this. Uh, we want uh, to welcome you to our third week in this series uh, through the book of Galatians. It's been fun, right? Yeah, I I love the book of Galatians. I love when Paul gets upset at people and just kind of completely loses his mind on people and tells them how it is sometimes. Um, The the one thing about the book of Galatians uh, is often that you have sermons and then you have to preach on someone else's sermon. And so there have been a few times throughout this book where we've just wanted to read the two chapters and be like, all right, see you guys next week sort of thing, uh, because Paul does such a great job of that. Uh, Before we kind of close off our series to the book of Galatians, if you've got your Bible, you can get a head start and turn to chapter 5 of Galatians if you want to read along with us. Uh, We're really excited for next week. Uh, Starting tomorrow morning, uh, Pastor John Simons is going to be on site he is going to be uh, taking over uh, Pastor Mark's office, and uh, he, for those of you who don't know, Pastor John Simons is going to be our interim lead pastor for uh, the next kind of period of time until God kind of gives us our long-term lead pastor, whoever that may be, and so we would love for each of you to be here next week to welcome him and his wife, Willow Ann, uh, as they, they, they join us for however long God has him here for, and uh, after our 11 AM service, as Pastor John mentioned, we're going to be meeting down at the Heritage Center. We're going to have a barbecue. It gives you an opportunity to not just meet John and Willow Ann, but actually have community with one another as well and, and join one another in fellowship and, uh, and eating some good food as well. So we hope that you guys are going to be joining us. So we've been in the book of Galatians, and uh, every week we've been looking at two chapters, and there's a lot of stuff in two chapters to look at. And uh, it is about a church in transition. It's about a church who have had different voices come into uh, kind of their theology and what they're learning, and uh, some voices that haven't been quite so helpful either. And so Paul took it among himself to write this letter to the church in Galatia to say, look, no, 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 you have freedom in Christ. That's what this whole book is about. It's about recognizing the freedom that you have in Christ. You are no longer bound to the law and the rules and regulations of religion. And so that was the, that's what we talked about mostly on the first week, is that God wants to move us from this to that, from guilt to grace. You no longer have to feel guilty to be bound by the law and the rules and the regulations of the law of Moses. Jesus came to fulfill that. So now, uh, by the grace of God, you don't have to worry and be guilted by religion. In week two, uh, Pastor John Sherwood, we're going to have to figure out this John, Pastor John thing, John S. thing. Uh, we've got John Sherwood, and now we've got John Simons. Let's call him Pastor Simons. Can we, can we just say that? Can we all agree on that church, Pastor Simons, so we can get all the, uh, the confusion out of the way? Uh, last week, Pastor John talked about what it means to go from prison to promise. And so for many of us, we feel bound to the restrictions of the old covenant, but now we have this new covenant in Christ. John talked about what it means to move from the reality of God's promise fulfilled, the promise that he gave to Abraham many, many, many years ago that was fulfilled in Christ. And we, where we were once slaves to certain social titles, we're not anymore. Where we were once bound by the prison of inequality, we are now equal in the eyes of Christ. Amen? 
And this week, we're going to talk about uh, chapters 5 and 6 of Galatians, and we're going to talk about what it means to go from passion to produce. We're going to look at what it means to eliminate sinful passion and unnatural desires that come from our own hearts and understand what it means to replace them with the produce of the fruit of the Spirit in our own lives. And so as we rack up, wrap up this book study through Galatians, I want to pray these words over us from Galatians 6, and I'm reading from the message at this moment. It says, do not be misled. No one makes a fool of God. What a person plants, he will harvest. The person who plants selfishness, ignoring the needs of others, ignoring God, harvests a crop of weeds. All he'll have to show for his life is weeds. But get this, church. But the one who plants in response to God, letting God's spirit do the growth of work in him, harvests a crop of real life, eternal life. So let's not allow ourselves to get tired of doing good. At the right time, we will harvest a good crop if we don't give up or quit. Right now, therefore, every time we get the chance... Let us work for the benefit of all, starting with the people closest to us in our community of faith. Let's pray together as we prepare for God's word. Lord Jesus, we just ask that you would give us a great sense of your presence as we dig into your word in these next few moments, God. That we would open our ears and our hearts and our minds to receive something from you through the power of your word. God, as we think about the spiritual growth of ourselves and of others, as we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbors as ourselves, God, may we work out holiness in us as the Spirit's nurture replaces our sinful nature. And all of God's people agreed and said, amen, amen, amen. Uh, have you ever found yourself in a situation where... You had to choose between one thing or the other, and you just didn't know what to choose? Or have you ever found yourself in a position where you had to make a decision where it's like yes or no? It's like the angel and the devil on your shoulder, right? right this concept is found all throughout pop culture and commercials and TVs and movies. It's like when someone has a decision to make, you've got... The devil who pops up on your shoulder first and says, just go for it. Or just do that thing that you're really not sure of. You just follow your heart. Go this route. And then all of a sudden, poof, the angel comes on your other shoulder and says, no, no, no. Right? They may usually make it look to be like this wimpy character with a robe and a halo. No, 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 do this. You should go this route. And so we have this conversation that happens on our shoulders, these voices whispering in our ears, the right and the wrong, do this or do not, should I or should not. We've got these, this spiritual warfare that's happening on our shoulders, right? The burden and the weight on our shoulders of making the right decisions. And so, in these last two chapters of Galatians, Paul wrestles with this a little bit. He tells us how we should deal with those decisions, how we should deal with those conflicts, how we should deal when we have the decision to make and we don't know the answer, the right or wrong, whether we follow the, you know, the passions of our heart or the direction of the Spirit in our lives. And so, some of us wrestle with this decision-based faith. 
where there are some people in this room who live their lives in Christ one decision at a time, a right or wrong at a time, a do or a do not. In everything that we do, our decisions are based on those two voices on our shoulders telling us which way to go. And so in these chapters, Paul makes it very clear that that's a spiritual warfare that's happening in your life. It's the whole good versus evil So we live this life where we feel that everything is based on a yes or no decision, a good or a bad choice, a do or a do not, a should or a should not. And Paul says that sounds pretty similar to living by the law. It says you should do this, so do it. But he's like, but this is about freedom in Christ. And so he wants to explain that to us and how we can live our lives in such a way where we're not living this decision-based faith where everything is just black and white, yes or no, do or do not. And so this is how he puts it in Galatians 5, starting at verse 16. He starts off by saying this, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting one another, right? That's the angel and the devil on your soul. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions, but when you are directed by the Spirit, you are under no obligation to the law of Moses. So what Paul is saying here is that sin is your default. Sin is your default. When you were born... You were born with a proclivity to sin. You were born with something called your sin nature. If you have a brand spanking new little infant baby, very small and beautiful and innocent, it's a sinner, right? Like the sin nature, it it just, it's, it's ingrained in our soul. It's a genetic part of our soul because of what Adam and Eve did, the first man and woman, Because of their mistakes, they set the bar to have this sin nature, this thing that is always in us. And throughout our entire life, our sin nature will pester you. It will annoy you. It will challenge you. It will trick you. Sin nature is this thing that always comes creeping up. It's the the devil on your shoulder. It's, It's the things that the whispering in your ear, what to do, the do or the do not, the should or the should not. We've got this sin nature, but Paul begins to talk about the Spirit's nurture. So it becomes nature versus nurture. And when you live according to the Spirit, it works in your life in such a way that slowly begins, slowly and surely nudges out your sinful nature to replace it with the Spirit's nurture, what it wants to do in your life. God wants to get rid of the sinful nature, right? This process that we call holiness or sanctification or whatever big word you want to use. And it begins to nudge it out when we follow the Spirit. In other words, following Jesus doesn't eliminate your capacity to sin, okay? But living in the Spirit slowly but surely replaces your sin nature with the Spirit's nurture. We let the Spirit take control of our lives and it teaches us to live in such a way where we're not living this decision-based faith, 
but we are led by the Spirit, and it speaks to our lives, and we know which way to go. We know what to do because of who God is and the goodness of Him in our lives. And so some of us are fighting, you know, this certain sin that kind of keeps coming up in our lives. We're fighting this battle that we seem to, this vicious cycle of things that keep happening in our lives, and we keep wrestling with it. And then we feel the shame of always making the wrong choice afterward, right? So we need to give the spirit control over your thoughts. Give the spirit control over your actions and let it cover every area in your life so that the spirit's nurture can begin to nudge out our sinful nature. And so we have this conflict of choice, right? The enemy, Satan, is this very uh, persistent teacher of rebellion, Right, we, again, we see it in this picture of the angel and the devil on your shoulder. He's a very persistent teacher of rebellion, but the Spirit is a great teacher of resistance. And the power of God in us, that is the Holy Spirit, is so powerful that it can speak over those things. That is the conflict of choice. We should want what the Spirit wants for us. We should go where the Spirit wants us to go. We should want to lean in the, spirit, the Spirit's direction as we live in it. So Paul tries to help us distinguish between these good and the bad choices. And most of us, I would say, are probably familiar with the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, we're going to talk about that in a moment. But for a second, I want to talk about the vegetables of sin. And for most of us, when it comes to arguments about things, we usually find ourselves on one side or the other. Cats and dogs, for example. Some of us are cat people. Some of us are dog people. Now, there are a few of us who don't really care one way or the other, but for the most part, we're either one or the other, or we have uh, a bent to one another. So, let's do a little poll. And you guys at NBC can do this here as well. I want you to raise your hand if you find yourself more of a dog person. Raise your hand. Right. Now, put your hand down. I want you to raise your hand if you're wrong. If you're a cat person. Sorry. That's what I meant. If you're a cat person, right? There are a few of you, right? You're a dog person or you're a cat person. Let's talk coffee and tea. How many of us here would like coffee more? Raise your hand. Right? And how of us, how many of us might actually like tea a little bit more, right? Yeah, yeah. Liberal and conservative, how many of us are, I'm just kidding, don't answer that question, I don't want to know, I don't care, I don't care, I don't care, if you love Jesus, I don't care. Some of us are like red and blue, right, liberal, conservative, whatever, and some of us, like if you had to choose, if you had the choice, you have the choice of eating only vegetables for the rest of your life, or only fruit, right, how many of us would choose vegetables over fruit, raise your hand. Yeah, one. Well, there's a few of you. How many of us would eat fruit as opposed to vegetable? Of course, right. And so we're all familiar with the fruit of the Spirit. And I love how Paul, before he gives us those things, he gives us this long list of things when we follow our sinful passions, our human desires, and I like to call them the vegetables of sin. This is what it says in Galatians 5, starting at verse 19. When you follow the passions of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. 
sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other stuff. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. So when we follow the passion or the desires of our sinful nature, these are the kinds of things that end up developing in our lives, the kinds of sin that develop in our lives. And so he breaks it down into four kinds of sin, okay? The vegetables of sin, and it's not the official, like, theological word, so don't go home like, I learned a new theological term, the vegetables of sin. This is just my own thing, okay? Humor me. So he breaks things down so that we can understand sin for a moment. The first is this, sexual sin. He talks about sexual immorality, right? Forbidden sex between, uh, between people or indirect participation as an audience. He talks about impure thoughts, right? This is thinking about your wife's friend or, you know, whoever, your neighbor's husband in an unacceptable and insensitive manner. There's lustful pleasures that's working out our impure thoughts, or excessive indulgence in sexual, some kind of sexual practice, right? Those are sexual sins. Second is this, is religious-type sins. He talks about idolatry, anything that you might substitute for God or treat a thing or a person as if it were God. And participation in demonic activity, right? This could seem as harmless as using a Ouija board or checking your horoscope. But it can also be as serious as, like, I was sacrificing a virgin on a pentagram altar, right? Like, it goes from this to that. It's like a huge difference between these things. And then we get into relational sin. These are the ones that are a little bit more obvious, the things that we tend to think about more often. Hostility, harboring hard feelings over someone. Quarreling, leaving unresolved conflict. Jealousy, being more content with what you don't have than what you do have. Outbursts of anger, not exacting control over your emotions. This is my, I'm just being real with you, this is my biggest one as a parent. That's the one I, it's like the vegetable that I struggle with the most. Selfish ambition, making things more important than people. Dissension and division, spreading rumors, gossip, trying to bring people to sides. Deliberately causing conflict. And envy, trying to attain something that someone else has already earned. And then the fourth kind of sin, the fourth kind of vegetables, I call it self-discipline sin, the things that uh, sometimes we just don't get a hold on, drunkenness, right? This probably goes beyond the excessive use of alcohol, but the excessive use of any kind of substance that might hinder or affect our consciousness for a non-medical reason, of course. Wild parties. This one's a bit weird because if you've been to like one of my wife's um, family reunions, like it's a wild party, but there's no alcohol and there's no drugs involved, but it's a wild party. It gets crazy. So what he's referring to here is, uh, especially in his context, he was specifically referring to these parties that uh, were often filled with a lot of sexual promiscuity, a lot of uh, consuming excessive amounts of some kind of substance or another, and sometimes even like a festival to a pagan god, and so that's what he's referring to here. Things get out of hand. And then he says, in other sin. And so he brings these up, not just for us to get a view of what we need to be watching out for, not just to say, like, these are the kinds of things that our sinful nature, that the passions of our heart and the desires of our humanness, these are some of the things that get us into trouble. 
that when we're not living by the Spirit, this is the mess that we get ourselves in. But I also think that Paul is saying this. If someone ever says to you, follow your heart, do not listen to them. For me, that is the worst, most non-biblical thing you could ever tell someone. Just follow your heart. Because our heart has a natural sinful proclivity to choose what we think is best, our humanness. It has a bent to choose the things that we think is best. But follow your heart. Don't do that. Follow the Spirit. This is what Paul is saying. Well, I, need, I don't know whether to do this or that. Well, just follow your heart. No, don't do that. Follow the Spirit. Well, I don't know whether we should purchase this house or what. Oh, just follow your heart. No, don't do that because you'll probably pick the one with the worst kitchen or something, right? Like, I need, I need to do this or I need to do that. Follow your heart. Don't do that. Follow what the Spirit wants to do in you because Jesus invades our life in such a way that the power and the presence of his Spirit in us is enough to lead us and to help us make the right choices, the right decisions, the yeses and the nos, the shoulds and the should nots, the do's and the do nots. So don't eat the vegetables of sin, but produce the fruit of the Spirit in your life. This is what it says in Galatians 5, starting at verse 22. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. And so this constant argument about the law throughout this whole book has been these people who have come into the church in Galatia and saying, uh, for those of you who are not Jewish, you need to still follow Jewish stuff, but still follow Jesus. In other words, you need to follow the law of Moses, but also follow Jesus. And Paul's saying, you cannot do one or the other. But when you follow Jesus, these are the kinds of things that are produced in your life through the power of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are the kind of things I want in my life. So now, I'm not a farmer, as you can tell, uh, I'm not an arborist or an agriculturalist at all, but if there's one thing about fruit that I can tell you is that it takes time to cultivate. Like it takes time and patience and resources and more time. It takes work and effort to cultivate fruit. It, it takes time to grow these things either physically on a tree but also in your life. And it's the same with the fruit of the Spirit. They take time. It's not like you just like, you give your life to Jesus and all of a sudden you love your neighbor who keeps you up on the weekends. Right? You don't just like, all, you follow Jesus and all of a sudden you find joy in cleaning your, the toilets at your work. You don't, you don't follow Jesus and all of a sudden you find peace in every single funeral that you go to. Or have patience with your kids when they wake you up at 5.30 a.m. on your day off. Right? You don't immediately want to show kindness to the customer that's yelling at you on the phone at work or faithfulness when you've had a string of bad luck or self-control when you're alone by, with your computer and you and your wife haven't been as intimate as you would like. Like, it, it doesn't just happen. It takes time to cultivate these things. And it's hard. It's hard work. 
Thank God that salvation is immediate, right? When we confess with our lips and believe in our heart and follow Jesus, that is an immediate thing. But holiness is not. It's proactive. It's something that you work at. Holiness is a journey. Seeing this kind of fruit produce in your life, it takes time. It's work. It's effort. But when we follow the Spirit, and when Paul says we live according to the Spirit, these things begin to cultivate in our heart and in our soul. We begin to see these things, and it begins to nudge out our sinful nature as this fruit overtakes the vegetables that happen and come up in our lives. And so what's the secret, right? What's the secret to living a holy life? What's the secret to living a Spirit-filled life, right? Some of us try to live life by avoiding the vegetables and not having to produce the fruit in us. This is what Paul says in Galatians 5.24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross and crucified them there. You see that? Those who belong to Jesus have nailed their passions and desires on the cross with Jesus. And since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Not just some, not just the easy parts, but in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. So most of us who struggle with sin in our lives is because we're, we live trying to avoid it. For, for those of us who maybe have this like recurring theme or this recurring sin or this, this, this recurring thought, this mindset that keeps coming up, up and up again and we, we feel bad and we feel ashamed by it, it's probably because you might be living your life in such a way where you're just trying to avoid sin. But Paul's saying stop trying to avoid it and live according to the Spirit and let the, the, the fruit produce that in you and move it out of the way. He's, a, he's encouraging us instead to live in the Spirit so that the fruit does the job for us. Your ability to restrain yourself from sinful passions depends on your willingness to live according to the Spirit. That's, that's, that's your job. That's a proactive thing. Let me say that again. Your ability to restrain yourself from sinful passions, that is the stuff that happens, the vegetables of sin, right? All those other things that occur because we follow our heart or follow our human desire or sinful passions, our ability to restrain ourselves from those things depends on our willingness to live according to the Spirit. So you need to begin to ask yourself, how far am I willing to go to live in the Spirit to make changes in my life? How far am I willing to go? How hard am I willing to listen? How hard am I willing to worship? How hard am I willing to chip away at the things in my life that are wrong and that I'm struggling with? So instead of living our lives in such a way that is trying to avoid sin, live your faith in such a way where you're living in the Spirit and have the fruit begin to cultivate in you. Let us move from this to that from sinful nature to the Spirit's nurture, from passion to produce. And so that's kind of Paul's micro way of looking at our own spiritual journeys. And so he takes all of chapter 5 to kind of 
uh, tell us how we, we nudge out the sinful nature in our life so that we can uh, have the Spirit's guidance and leading in our own lives to help make good decisions, to help follow Him, to put us in the places where we need to be, where we can be served best. And so He looks at our own personal growth, and then He takes that, and He says, if you can do that, if you can live by the Spirit's lean, leading, and not by the passions and desires of your own heart, if you can do that, then we become better at the kingdom mentality. We become better at serving one another. So he moves from the micro to each one of us in our individual walks and journeys with Jesus to the macro. He looks on the outside when we recognize the freedom that we have in Christ. We are then equipped and ready to love others and serve others. Right? To love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbors as ourselves. One moves us into the other. And so Paul moves the conversation from our own spiritual growth to loving our neighbors. And we let the fruit of the Spirit produce in our lives. It slowly and surely nudges out the other stuff. And we begin to look beyond ourselves. This is how he puts it in Galatians 6, starting at verse 1. Dear brothers and sisters... If any other believer is overcome by sin, you who are godly, which is to say, if you are living according to the Spirit, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens, and in this way obey the law of Christ. If you think you are too important to help someone else, you're only fooling yourself. You're not that important. Thanks, Paul. Verse 7, you will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. It pays to live according to the Spirit, not only just for our own lives and for where God wants to take us, but for the lives of others. When we follow the Spirit's leading, we learn how to love one another better and serve one another better. It just pays off for me and my eternity and for how God wants to lead in my life. It pays off for others pays to not live according to the passions and the desires of our sinful nature. It brings us closer to Jesus and to others. Living in the Spirit replaces self-indulgence with loving service to others. So the secret of loving our neighbors as ourselves is living in the Spirit and not giving in to our sinful human passions. Do not live ashamed of the sinful nature of your life. We all have it. We were all born with it. Live empowered by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. Lord, move us from passion to produce. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you for uh, the harsh words of Paul. And sometimes we use the re his rebuke of others to hear your voice, to see where you are challenging us, to see what we need to do to live closer to you, to get rid of, to not live in such a way that we depend on our own self-indulgence, 
but to love and to serve others well. God, in this moment, in these next few moments, as we continue to worship, as we listen to these words of how you change our whole heart, not just part of it, when we give you our whole lives. God, if you need to do work in us, God, we, we open up the altars, we open up our chairs, we open up our space. God, for you to live and move and breathe amongst us, God, if, if we feel we need to pray for one another, may we do so. God, if there's someone in the room that we just feel you nudging us to go support with prayer, God, we pray for that. But in this moment, God, do the work that only you can do. My words are nothing without you. My words are nothing without your word. But God, may you use them to change and to transform and to challenge. God, may we live not by our sinful passions, but by the fruit that you want to produce in your life through the power of the Spirit. And all of God's people agreed and said, 